0: Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer and tonight I test out the strength of this house price rebound. Has it gone too far, could it really go for three years, will it rise 30% in that time as the Reserve Bank has implied and suggested and what could derail all this optimism? Uh, We'll start with the CEO of Century 21, Charles Tarby, who shows us using charts how strong this market actually is. Then I talked to Eliza Owen. Now, she's the head of Australian research for the country's most quoted house price data watcher, CoreLogic, to see what are the numbers really doing? Where are the gains the biggest? And then AMP Capital's economist, Diana Musina looks at the reasons for this house price boom, how long it can keep on going for, and what might just kill it off. So that's the show. Let's kick off with the CEO of one of the country's biggest real estate agency, Charles Tarby from Century 21. Joining me on the show now is the founder and CEO of Century 21, or C21 as it's called nowadays, Charles Tarby. Hey, Charles. Hey, Peter. So, Charles, I always like to catch up with you to see what's going on in the market right now. Uh, Before we start looking at a few charts, just send it over to us. Why don't you tell us what you're, you're seeing in this, what is always being described nowadays as a very hot market?
1: Yeah, it's, it is a very interesting marketplace. It's sort of like a bit of a catch-up marketplace, Peter, and I, I think we're almost there. Uh, a lot of people are, are seeing it sort of run away, but um, a, a lot of people have also forgotten that it's only just a, f- a few short years ago the actual market um, stalled and uh, and prices sort of started dropping a little bit. And I think that where we are now is is we're watching all these different marketplaces catch up. And some of them are now going just a little bit beyond where they were. Uh, So there seems to be a lot of excitement, and there certainly is. But I do think it's more of a catch-up phase than anything else at this point in
0: time. Okay, so let's go to the charts you provide. The first one is the the national auction clearance rates. And why don't you talk to what we're seeing on the screen?
1: Yeah, look, they're quite extraordinary those charts because you, you, you are seeing a pattern and that's what we've got to keep looking for is those patterns that go on uh, around the marketplace. And A lot of people will say that, look, again, auctions aren't really a clear indication, but they, they to me, are definitely a stat that we have to watch very, very closely. We're watching the clearance rate just move beyond where they were last year, this time last year, uh, 88% in Sydney, 88.2% in Sydney, with not too many less auctions uh, than this time last year when it was only 74.5%. But the standout that's really driving this marketplace or the auction clearance rates is Canberra. Canberra has been in the 90s for the last three weeks, coming in at 92.4% with 79 auctions for the week. So when you add all of those stats together, even Brisbane came in at 79.4% and it was 45% went one this time last year. So you add all of that together and just come up with this extraordinary stat of, of 84 plus percent in the 80s, three weeks in a row. Mm. It, it, is, it is unbelievable. I, I tell you, Peter, if there was more stock around, a lot of people might think that the clearance rates would drop, but they wouldn't at the moment because there's just so many people out there in the marketplace, so many buyers out there in the marketplace, uh, as opposed to the number of listings. It's going to sit like that for a little bit longer.
0: And clearly, the, the biggest driver of all is the unbelievably low interest rates, where yes. even I think uh, St George and um, another uh, Westpac-related bank are offering $4,000 cashbacks on <laughs> on what, three or four fixed-year uh, home loans under two percent. So you, you can see why people are out there with their ears pinned back looking for a property.
1: Oh, it, it's extraordinary, uh, as uh, you and I have spoken about before, um, when, when interest rates were really high. I mean, if you, if you borrow $400,000 today at today's interest rates, uh, you, you, know, you might be paying $10,000 uh, in, in repayments a year, but if you borrowed $400,000 way back when we were buying our properties, uh, you'd, be, you'd be paying somewhere in the order of, of $38,000 a year for the same amount of money.
0: It is is absolutely staggering. Let's give you a second one. This is homes advertised for sale. Yeah. And we know there's been a supply problem for a long time, even when the prices were stalling. I don't think you said there was a a, a rush for people to sell their houses. But what is this one telling you?
1: Well, we're starting to see that rise nearly every week now. I I can tell you that the last five weeks of recording this information, um, the stock levels have climbed. I mean, they were 35% lower than this time last year in early January. Right now they're 26.84% lower than this time last year. So that is a massive indication that all of those people who have been hanging on and waiting to see what might happen, coupled with the festive season, uh, are coming into the marketplace. Now, when you have that happen, as you know, Peter, when the supply meets demand, it starts uh, uh, tapering out. And we think that that's where it's heading. A lot of people have moved to regional areas because those values are are exceptional. But once again, it's like that wave, uh, Sydney, Brisbane, uh, all the capital cities, Uh, as soon as their prices start to rise, it doesn't take much longer than a few months before the regional areas start to feel that wave. And that's what's been happening. So I think that wave is will settle down more and more stock that comes on into the marketplace. And we are seeing that every week. Okay,
0: so from that chart there, it tells you about 62,000 in February, and it's climbing up now towards 70,000. What, what kind of number houses for sale is a, a more average, If that's if that's a well, if
1: if you you look at look strongly at the chart, Pete, and you go back to April two thousand and nineteen, where there was you know just under one hundred and twenty thousand homes advertised for sale, we're still a still a long way off from there. Yeah. Um. uh, So I I think that uh, it's going to need to get past that hundred mark uh, before we start to see something really change dramatically. And Pete, that can happen very quickly because there's a lot of people sit on the fence. Uh, and especially when you're watching the prices move as quickly as they have. Even people who had no interest in selling when they see prices like this, start thinking about it very, very strongly. And it doesn't take much before there's a, an overflow of stock, which we've seen on a number of occasions. That, that's the feeling I'm getting right now. If I look at my, my experiences over the many cycles I've been involved in real estate, i'm seeing that those interest rates are not going to move much that's that's fine Uh, i don't think the interest rates is going to be the factor here i think there are three other things at play but one of those stock levels start rising two i think the banks are going to get a little bit more cautious down the track and three i think valuers will probably get a little bit more gun shy and i think those three three things combined as we move down in the next few months of this year I think those things will impact on the way the marketplace looks.
0: Okay, let's go to the third one. This one ta- looks at your residential rent price movements. And uh, what's the story
1: there? Not every capital city has, has been moving upward, that's for sure. Um, and, and some have been moving better than others. We talked about Hobart as being one of those capital cities that's moved very, very strongly. Uh, but I, I think we'll come into a, a period of decline. So when I look at, at that rent movement, one of the things that that I noticed very, very strongly is the fact that the differences between what it was like going back five, six years ago to where it is today. And if I look at the the Sydney market as an example, it's it's been declining more than any other capital city in terms of rental movement, while Queensland and Victoria and, and WA and Tassie in particular has moved upwards in rent. Uh, Tasmania has been the best performing state in terms of what it was like from uh, going back four or five years ago. But Sydney has gone backwards. WA has gone backwards a little bit, but most of the other capital cities are staying to hold their own pretty well. Uh, as you know, Perth and Northern Territory suffered very, very strongly, uh, not just in price decline, but in vacancy rates. and rent. And the vacancy rates in Perth, in my portfolio, just a, a year and a half, two years ago, were sitting around 11 12%, 13%. And, and that next chart covers those vacancy rates and you'll see the difference today compared to what it was like just a short period of time ago.
0: Okay, let's go to those vacancy rates.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's the part again, uh, Vic is, is fantastic. It's been sitting low in, in, in low 0.53%. Uh, Sydney has, has been uh, probably, it, it, which is interesting, the worst performing out of, when I, of the three charts I kept was I, I looked at the West Coast, And I looked at at the two major capital cities on on the East Coast. And Perth, as I mentioned, was the worst. And when I look at it now, it's only 0.85% vacancy rate. uh, And Sydney is at 2.68% in comparison to the others. Because as you know, Sydney has got a larger amount of property in terms of um, uh, apartments, et cetera, that are sitting around. And so I think that you'll probably find that Sydney will still suffer a bit more. There's still hundreds and hundreds, thousands of apartments. When I drive through some of the suburbs in the Northwest sector and even out west at Henrith Way, where apartment complexes have gone up incredibly in places I, I could never have dreamed seeing the amount of apartments I'm seeing in some of these areas. I think it's going to take a little while to soak that up because the, the first home buyers will buy as much as they can and so the investors are going to suffer because of that, just a little bit more.
0: Mm. And and looking at that chart, um, uh, Charles, uh, what capital cities uh, would be the worst place to try and get a rental property right now?
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say that that the worst would be Melbourne uh, and uh, and Brisbane mm. uh, to be the most difficult to get. I think uh, uh, Hobart's getting better and better because the number of investors that are bought in there. And I think SA will get better because of the number of investors that are bought there because of affordability. So I think the vacancy rates in those areas will rise. But I I, I can see a, a, that the other capital cities will probably fare a lot better as time moves on, especially Melbourne and Brisbane.
0: All right, Charles, thanks for joining us on the program. Talk to you in a few weeks' time. Thank you, Peter. Well, we all know that the housing market is very, very hot, and uh, one organisation that watches those prices very carefully, of course, is uh, Core, Core Logic, and we've got Eliza Owen uh, from that company with us right now. Eliza, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Why don't you take us around the country and tell us what kind of data, be it price rises, auction clearance rates, that you're seeing as you, you look around the, the country?
2: So, in the year to 2020, if we, if we look at sort of the year that was, um, ultimately we've seen a pretty firm upswing being established across most parts of Australia. Growth over the year has been led by some of the smaller capital cities, um, with Darwin actually leading capital city uh, growth over the year, and that's off the back of a very long and large decline in that market. Um, So values across Darwin are sitting over 11% higher in the year to Jan, but they're still about 24% below their record high, which was in 2014. Mm. Uh, In the December quarter, we saw the start of an upswing trend across Melbourne, which has left values um, 2% lower over the year, being the sort of worst performing capital city. But due to that acceleration in the December quarter, uh, it's looking better than we may have expected. Um, And on those more high frequency quarterly growth rates, that's where we're seeing the momentum in in each housing market. So uh, it's looking like a pretty good year. It's uh, looking particularly for sellers um, that prices are continuing to rise. There's pretty low levels of stock on the market. And, of course, there's the uh, regional Australia story where we've seen uh, annual growth rates across the combined regional markets at around 8%. Uh, which is far higher than what we saw across the combined capital cities of a 2% increase.
0: Yeah, that, that regional shift, I must admit, I can't think of the last time that I've ever seen anything like that. But maybe it has and I've just missed it.
2: So, I mean, the kind of divergence we're seeing between capital cities and regional Australia at the moment, it's been about two decades since we've seen an upswing where regional Australia is outpacing the capitals to that extent. Mm. If you look at like technically when growth rates across regional Australia have been higher than what we've seen in the capital cities that usually happens in periods of um, downturns because Mm. the regionals have historically been slower and steadier. Mm. So um, in in that sense, they've technically had higher growth rates in the past, but ultimately this is Uh, a really unique kind of boom that we're seeing across regional Australia.
0: Okay. Um, I don't wanna be Sydney-centric, but there are a lot of people who live in Sydney. What's been happening to the the Sydney house price um, story?
2: Yeah, so Sydney wound up 2% higher over the year. The median house value across the city has ticked back over the million dollar mark. And in clearance rates, we're seeing a final clearance rate that's averaged about 82% for the past four weeks. Mm So a lot of that growth in the market has been driven through the December quarter into January. And I'd imagine for this month, we're going to see some pretty strong results as well. So a lot of momentum happening there. Overall, that market is still about 4% below its record high, which was back in 2017. But the way things are going, we think that that could reach a new record high over
0: 2021. Yeah, Um, do you guys ever do any work um, linking interest rates to house price movements?
2: So the RBA has actually done some work on this in the past. Um, the, their analysis showed that a 1% decline in the cash rate can lead to an 8% increase in dwelling values um, over the following two years, provided there are no uh, increases in the cash rate in that time. So that kind of speaks to the growth we'd expect to see in the market. You've got a situation where the official cash rate is sitting at a record low of just 0.1%. And the triggers that the RBA are looking for to increase that cash rate are unlikely to manifest for years, um, potentially until 2024. So based on that, I mean, that that explains a lot of the growth that we've seen in the market and, and might expect to see in the market over this
0: year. Yeah, and so when you hear some uh, generalised predictions, and even the Reserve Bankers said this that they're kind of expecting a thirty percent rise in house prices over a three year period, do you guys think that's within the ballpark?
2: I mean, the the problem is we just don't really know what's going to happen. I think a ten percent increase nationally over the next twelve months is probably not an unreasonable um increase to to expect across the market Um, but you know i was saying back in um late 2019 that dwelling values would hit a new record high and then we had a global pandemic so you just never really know what what might happen to the market what might disrupt the market and importantly i think we can't underestimate the institutional response you know if, if we see apra come in with more formalised constraints around debt-to-income ratios or loan-to-income ratios that could slow down momentum. Um, it, it's it's really hard to say, really yep. hard to say. But ultimately, I think there's probably more tailwinds uh, suggesting growth in the market at the moment. Okay,
0: you've done some work on what might happen to the housing sector as a consequence of changes to job seeker and job keeper. What were your conclusions?
2: So looking at the changes to the Job Seeker supplement, we get asked a lot what kind of impact that's gonna have on the housing market. So I did a little bit of work to try and understand if there would be an impact. Ultimately, I, I don't know that there will be a big impact on the housing market, certainly not at the aggregate level. Uh, we've seen that areas that have the highest portion of Job Seeker recipients as a portion of their population, Um, Rents have actually increased since COVID-19 and they've also increased in these areas since there was a substantial reduction to the job seeker payment in September. So I can't really see any discernible impact of changes to job seeker on the rental markets in, in aggregate where you would expect there to be more of an effect. But um, that's not to say that individual households won't be facing more housing stress and even the threat of homelessness from reduced capability to keep up with rising rents and rising prices.
0: Do you guys take any measures of mortgage stress? Because there are some experts out there, um, maybe self-appointed experts, who who've, you know, tend to tra- track what they think is mortgage stress. Do you guys actually have any sort of formal um, monitoring of what might be mortgage stress?
2: Well, we would look at affordability metrics. So we have four different affordability metrics that we produce, which is looking at the ratio of interest payments to income, rents to income, the dwelling value to income ratio, and the years taken to save a 20% deposit. And look, I would expect that when we're looking at those, they are at the median level, I think they would probably deteriorate, except for the interest to income repayment due to the falling yeah. mo- mortgage rates. In terms of um, household stress, I think it's really hard because you're looking at, at quite a small, or not a small segment, but a um, lower income segment of the market, which you know doesn't always um, have have the data readily available. So um, it's it's not something that we. Um, track I guess where it's more acutely felt because at the moment we're just looking at it at the median level yeah. um, but there could be potential to look at it at different um, income levels and, and different housing yeah. stock levels as it, well
0: It just seems to me that th- there's a lot of subjective assumptions you'd have to make to really give you an accurate idea of mortgage stress because if you're a low income person and you lose your job and you've got a mortgage to pay. That's mortgage stress. And if you're a, a really wealthy person with a big loan and you lose your job and you get another job which doesn't pay as well, you've got mortgage stress. It's all different sorts of mortgage stress. To me, it's, uh, I think, it'd be very hard to be objective. Uh, and, and that's what worries me about some of these readings on mortgage stress because uh, there have been big numbers, but house prices keep rising and auction clearance rates remain really high. So that doesn't. Yeah, Yeah, and
2: and I think that's a really good point, right? Is that you've got a lot of momentum in the market. You've got um, increasing prices and increasing rents. And that just speaks to the divergence between these more vulnerable households on low incomes. Whereas those who own property can gain equity, you know, there's, there's, great, there's a greater divergence happening yeah. there and it's going to be harder for people on those job seeker payments to yeah. keep up with the broader market.
0: And it seems to me, I agree that, you know, one of the stress points for the market going forward could be if APRA says to banks, stop lending money, all right? Okay, that, that makes sense. They could do that. But it seems to me if APRA doesn't go over the top, the, the real testing point for the housing market is when the Reserve Bank starts to raise interest rates. And that's going to be a very interesting, um, critical point for the housing sector.
2: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. So if we take that idea that lower mortgage rates lead to an increase in values, then um, the the analysis works the other way where an increase in interest rates could dampen property values. Mm. Um, And I think that's definitely uh, a major headwind for serviceability and things like that. Mm. A couple of things to keep in mind is that by the time we get to a point where interest rates are going up, Going to have a much stronger economy. The yeah. unemployment rate's probably going to be below five of 4.5%. You'll have inflation running at two to three percent. And the other thing, too, is if an uh, increase in interest rates is a massive shock to the economy, the RBA is not going to keep going with that. I imagine it would be a very staggered process.
0: Yeah.
2: So yeah, I I you can't <laughs> have <clears throat> prices that just keep going up while you know, you've, you've got to adjust your interest rates eventually. Hmm. But I'd be careful to, you know, over-dramatise that as we may have over-dramatised some elements of, of COVID and its impact on the housing market in, in the past.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, Eliza, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Okay, let's get the economic take on... What might happen to the housing sector with Diana Messina, economist at AMP Capital. Great to see you, Diana. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, let's just start off with some of the economic stuff you've been looking at lately. You've looked at some, the strength of the, the building numbers, looking pretty good.
3: I mean, the approvals data is completely recovering well above pre-COVID levels. There's obviously a lot of momentum in new housing construction and I think a lot of that is down to the home builder package that the government has now extended until I think March this year so it's obviously given people a lot of incentive to go out there and either do major alterations or to purchase a new home and of course the low interest rate environment helps with all of that.
0: Yeah so now today really strong business investment numbers came out and I was really looking forward to that I mentioned that uh, my two GB spot um, uh, last Saturday with Chris Smith. This is a, a number that we, we we know the consumers are back, but it wasn't complete. We weren't completely convinced that business is getting involved. Do these numbers say that's the case?
3: Well, it looks a lot better than the weak points that we saw uh, in twenty twenty. Mm. Business investment looked like it was falling off a cliff at the worst part of uh, the COVID pandemic last year. I mean, things definitely are improving, but business investment is still well down compared to a year ago, whereas the consumer has nearly fully recovered. So I guess it again goes to this point that the fiscal stimulus was very much concentrated towards supplementing consumer incomes and that's clearly worked. Consumers are in a position of strength, whereas I think for businesses, while you still have this period of uncertainty, it is difficult to get investment plans completely back to
0: where they were before COVID. They probably need a bit more certainty. Yeah. What I'm seeing in in our own business is a lot more uh, businesses, big inner town businesses are saying yes to proposals or at least are seriously considering it where last year it was like, let's all cut all costs, forget it. We're not going to do anything innovative. I'm starting to see the momentum move towards more innovation and therefore I wasn't surprised to see the investment numbers improving.
3: Well, thats I, I think that you, they kind of need that certainty and also potentially more confirmation from the government around different types of policies that might be included in the budget. I mean, obviously the government put in place some tax incentives for businesses to do some instant asset write-offs in the budget last year, but it hasn't really been enough to completely shift the dial for business investment. I think the key is just to see that recovery in demand. And once you get the vaccine being rolled out here in Australia, that will probably give businesses more certainty that things are going to get back to normal sooner.
0: Yeah, really important for the housing sector is obviously the jobs data. What's your take on the labour market?
3: I've been really surprised at how fast the recovery has gone in the labour market, usually after recessions. I know that the COVID recession was quite short in Australia, but usually after recessions, it takes two or three years for employment to get back to its pre-recessionary levels. But we're pretty much nearly there now. 93% of jobs that were lost due to COVID have now been regained, still need to get the unemployment rate to about 5%. It's still over 6%. And there is, of course, uncertainty about what happens when JobKeeper runs off, but I don't think it will derail the recovery. I think that employment growth will still be positive this year but probably softer than where it was in the last six months uh, because a lot of that government support is now starting to taper off.
0: Yeah, okay. Let's just talk about something that most people glaze over when they hear it and that's the U.S. bond yields. Um, But the U.S. bond yields are are rising at the long end and some people think that's the reason why Wall Street's become a little bit more negative than it has been uh, lately.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and the implication is that those um, predictions by even the Reserve Bank that interest rates might remain really low, where they are now for three years, becomes, in, in some people's minds, less likely because of what they're seeing in the US bond yield area. Personally, I think that people are over-arcing over, um, um, the importance of the U.S. bond yield, but what's your your take on it? Uh,
3: The market moves in the last few days have been extremely fast, and it comes down to higher expectations from inflation, because people now expect a very large stimulus package to get passed by the U.S., really good signs in the vaccine. So, obviously, investors are now pricing in that this economic rebound this year will be quite strong. And the U.S., the outlook for the US is extremely positive. We're looking for six and a half percent growth this year. Some other people looking for seven or seven and a half percent. So we're not even at the top end. Uh, But I do think that the increase in bond yield that we've seen over the past uh, week or two will probably start to slow. And that's just because I think that the central bank's around the world, particularly the US Fed continues to hammer this story that they will keep interest rates at very low levels for a long time. And that should anchor bond yields. Hmm. So in that environment, I still think that you can get higher bond yields, uh, but probably not really more than one and a half or 1.6% for the US 10 year in the short term.
0: Okay, and the reason why I asked that question is, obviously the unbelievably (laughs) low interest rates in Australia Is helping the strength of the house price movements in the housing sector. Are you guys still fairly comfortable that rates will stay around these levels at least for two years and maybe even longer?
3: I think two years is reasonable. The Reserve Bank have still been saying, well, they haven't changed their rhetoric that uh, they're not going to change interest rates until sometime in 2024. We think that hike will happen in 2023 earlier than what the Reserve Bank expects but uh, I mean obviously they're not tied to to that forecast they can change their view whenever they want to and the market's been uh, moving on the expectation that you might even get a rate hike sooner than 2023 and it really just depends on how strong the economic recovery is here I think the economic recovery in Australia will be slower than the U.S. Uh, just because we don't have as much fiscal stimulus here, even though we've managed coronavirus better in Australia than, than they have in the US.
0: And that partly explains why we haven't got much fiscal stimulus, because we have actually managed the, the virus better. But, and, 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 and so um, the house price outlook, um, what is your house price outlook for the next two or three years? And what could actually kill it off? What could actually change your view? I'm presuming I'm going to be reasonably optimistic, but if, if if anything's going to kill off, what will it be?
3: Well, we've got expectations for about 5 to 10% home price growth over the next two years. I mean, I think that's pretty modest. Uh, some of the, other, and the consensus, I think, is probably around that level as well, maybe a little bit stronger than that. Yeah, I think that there's going to be some rotation out of Sydney and Melbourne towards the other capital cities. I mean Sydney and Melbourne have had phenomenal months this month though. Sydney's are already up by 2.2% for February, which is huge, and Melbourne's up more than 1%. So we are closing in back to those record home prices that we saw in 2017 because since 2017 home prices haven't really done anything. They had a Um, You know, they had a pretty decent correction since uh, 2017, and now they've been running back up. What could kill it off? I am still concerned about the impact that migration had to the housing sector. You know, our population growth with migration was 1.5% per annum, whereas now that's going to fall to about 0.5% because we're not bringing in any um, people, and we probably won't be doing so over the next two years. That has a big impact on the housing sector because migrant demand, that new demand for housing is such a key element of new demand for dwellings and construction and home prices. So over the next six months, you probably will see this continued frenzy for home prices, especially in the capital cities and even some of the regions because interest rates are so low. But after that, what keeps the housing story going? I think that there will be some negative impacts from that lower level of um, population growth.
0: Yeah, but what about the fact that so many Australians who were expats, you know, living the life of Riley overseas and and us here hating them because they were living the life of Riley, now they're all coming home. That's going to also be a sort of like a a surprise plus for the market. And there's quite a lot of people because how many people, how many immigrants would come um, each year? I've got a number like 300,000 in my head, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but, But those immigrants... Didn't have the same kind of purchasing power as these expats. Have you have you considered that, uh, Diana?
3: Well, we have, but the government themselves think that there will still be a net outflow um, of migration. Hmm. Uh, so the, the the population growth numbers, even considering for those people that are going to come back, which the government I think has considered in their forecasts, yep. or at least some of those people will um, come back. I just think that the impact from my, from migration completely offsets it. And you're right, it's about 250,000 or so migrants that used to come to Australia every single year. And a lot of those migrants are on skilled visas, which means that they're on high, you know, a higher income range, right. uh, which is positive for home prices.
0: Yeah, okay. Is there anything else you think we should know about what you think the housing sector is going to do over the next year or two?
3: Well, I think that the differences between regional and other capital cities growth will still be quite important. Um, We've obviously been seeing over the last few years that Sydney and Melbourne have been completely outpacing every other capital city in the region uh, and and the regional cities. But I think that Sydney and Melbourne price growth is set to slow more compared to the other regions, just because of the impact from migration. So I would look for regions and non-Sydney Melbourne capital cities to outperform. And I'm particularly bullish on areas like Darwin and Perth that have obviously had years of underperformance. I think that those two areas will do quite well. There's a lot of support for 1st term buyers in Perth as well. But one thing to watch for, and this is another thing I should have mentioned as well, what could kill off the home price growth? APRA regulations around macro prudential policy, uh, that's going to be a risk if the investors come back into the market, which they could do if they become more positive about rental growth over the next six months.
0: Okay, Uh, and you have actually bought a house recently. Did you buy at auction and was it a, a very difficult experience competing against all these people who want to buy the house that you wanted to buy?
3: Uh, It was the most stressful experience ever. We didn't buy it at auction in the end, but uh, I I keep looking at the home price data every single day and I'm just feeling very uh, happy that we decided to make that decision even though we took on a huge amount of debt. uh, I I I think it was the right one because prices in Sydney are extremely competitive, especially if you want to live sort of close to the beach,
0: which is what we decided to do. Yeah, so you're a stumpy, wompy real gone surfer girl, eh? Okay, <laughs> Diana, thanks for joining us for the program.
3: Thank you, Peter.